Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where I'm officially calling an end to the drought. Uh, yeah, it is uh, kind of pouring outside today. Um, but we don't have a guest on the Bose Nose Show today, so I've got a full hour to basically vent my spleen uh, you know, over some things that have been going on and I haven't had all the time in the world to talk about. And you know, I've promoted a couple of them. We'll get to a bunch more. Uh, there's just so much going on because you know, the legislature is getting ready to meet so nobody's paycheck is safe. And um, you know, just amazes me some of the things that are going on around here that we just have to talk about, but I have to start out again with our fairgrounds and the Lane Events Center. Uh, I talked about this last week some. We had a board meeting. I've been putting stuff up on social media about it. I actually was interviewed uh, and did a segment on KPNW, which they replayed this morning, which was really nice to them, and, I, and Lars Larson heard about it, and he contacted me. I also had a, a uh, guest editorial in the Register Guard on Sunday. What is amazing to me is some of the people that had no idea that the Board of Commissioners was getting ready to permanently parcel, slice off, carve, whatever you want to say, a portion of the fairgrounds off permanently for another use. People that are stakeholders and users of the event center had no idea. It wasn't until I started getting the word out that the uh, folks that run the uh, Good Earth Home Show and the Home Show and, and, a couple, and another uh, trade show out there, they had no idea. They hadn't heard about it. You know, th- that's just, you know, a tip of the iceberg. I actually had to call one of the fair board members to make them fully aware of what was going on. Yeah, so the public process around this has been abysmal. 
Yeah, I, I, I know some of my fellow commissioners claim that there's been good public process. When was the public notice? When was the public hearing? When were the users of the event center notified and the user group there? You know, how, you know, how was that word put out? That we were considering taking a piece of the fairgrounds that was purchased using transient room tax money, which is intended to promote tourism and hotel stays here in Lane County for future expansion of the fairgrounds and is actually already being used during the fair, um, you know, where was that notice given? And, and where did we have the public hearing to take input? You know, when, when has that happened? If I hadn't started putting the word out last week, there's a lot of people that would not have known this was even being considered. And even in the face of all that, our board is still proposing to move forward with this. They voted 4-1 against me to place a board order on next week's agenda late in the afternoon, you know, far removed from the public comment in the morning. Um, and, you know, there is no public hearing with that agenda item scheduled for 10 whole minutes to uh, bring up and vote on permanently carving off that uh, almost one acre of the fairgrounds for a 22-unit supported housing project for families with children. Now, I'm going to ask Robin to do a couple things during the show here. For those of you that are watching on Facebook Live, this is one of the advantages of, of doing that, is we can bring up images. And I have her bring up an image from Google Earth of the Lane Events Center. <clears throat> I think it's going to be over my left shoulder here. And if you look at that image, in the upper left-hand corner, there's some brown ground there that doesn't have anything really on it, right up against the corner of 13th and Tyler. And basically, that's the target area for this housing. Now, this particular picture was taken either right before or right after the fair, because I can tell from some of what's been being set up. And you can see a bunch of RVs that are already spreading down towards that brown area. Those are the folks that are there camping for 4-H because they've got big animals there um, at the uh, uh, animal uh, getting ready to show at the, at the uh, exhibit hall there. And <coughs> that brown area above them is now being used for where all the midway vendors and some of the other vendors camp for that week as well as there's some VIP parking in that area that's, that's for the concert venue because the open air concert venue is on that end of the fairgrounds. Now, that's the midway and concert venue on, you know, close to that end of the fairgrounds where we're going to put families with children. And you don't think there might be a future conflict with that, you know, we're talking about at-risk families, so it's not families that are on really solid, stable ground with young children next to a site that's got an open concert venue and a midway with rides running till I think they go to 11 during fair, and who knows how long it takes them to shut down and get quiet out there. Um, you know, it's just a recipe for a conflict in the future. 
you know, where that where those folks are going to be complaining about the noise the fare generates because we locate them right up against it. Um, you know, not to say there aren't some things that go on at the fair that aren't exactly conducive to families that might be uh, recovering or trying to overcome addiction and other issues, seeing, yeah, there's some events there that, in fact, most of the events there serve alcohol, and uh, some of them are pretty adult events. So, uh, you know, that, there's a separate conflict that might be going on also there. But the Board of Commissioners is moving forward with this because there's an arbitrary deadline going on. And that arbitrary deadline is to apply for some money that our legislature pulled out of their budget last year, $40 million, that they want to have results by the next biennium start. So they've got this short you know, period where they you know, put out a uh, notice of funding availability, what they call a NOFA, in September. So that was when they started searching for properties. And are expecting uh, the properties to be identified and grants applied for in the beginning of February. And that's a real arbitrary date. Now, mind you, this great big fairgrounds you see in front of you, we've been in the process of starting a master plan for it and looking at the whole future of that, that event center. We finished the first piece of that last week. And if Robin can get to the next, um, little thing that it kind of is a, a pretty little drawing that you know looks like it, uh, the same view there of the fairgrounds and it's a preliminary concept for potential improvements is what it says in other words this is just that particular consultant's quick napkin sketch idea of how you might um, utilize the fairgrounds to better advantage in the future and if you notice that area up there in the upper left-hand corner is going, is, even in his preliminary concept, is fully utilized as a permanent year-round full hookup RV campground to support the events going on on the rest of the center. And what that does is it makes the rest of those events a bit more marketable because you can tell the event organizers that they can tell their vendors that there's full hookup RV parking and camping right there. Because a lot of those trade show vendors show up with, you know, the, the typical toy hauler behind a pickup truck. And instead of having a bunch of OHVs and the toy hauling stuff, that's where their booth is and all their booth stuff. And the front part, you know, that you camp in, you know, they'll, they'll pull over there and camp. You know, so that, and that's just one proposed use of that. It could be a lot of things up in that corner. You know, one of the things we're going to have to deal with is some of these buildings are aging out, particularly the ice rink is, is in bad, has some really bad problems with permafrost and is undersized and, and could really just use a teardown and rebuild, to be honest. Um, but, you know, there's that thing gets used, you know, fairly much all year round. And, and uh, you know, do you, do you tear something down or do you build new, move the use over to the new building, and then tear it down, you know, which means you got to have room on site to do stuff like that and play that sort of game of build some, build, rebuild the building somewhere while you're still using the old one before you'll be able to tear it down. So that particular corner 
provides some of that flexibility and that planning. So the final little exhibit I want to have Robin bring up over my left shoulder is the flood zone map for the site. Now, this is, you know, I had to kind of hand draw the, the outline of the fairgrounds on this, but that kind of aquamarine uh, greenish blue color on there, that is the 100 year flood zone. And you see down towards, you know, the bottom of the picture, that's the Amazon Creek that comes through the site, which also has a riparian buffer from it that we can't really build in. And up in the upper portion is, is an old side channel that's mapped as flood zone. If you notice that piece up in the corner I talked about earlier that, that they're proposing to give away for housing is completely out of that 100-year flood zone. So it has no flood zone complications for anything we might want to do in that corner. So we don't have to deal with that. And you, you you know, you kind of say, why is that important? Because anytime you build in a flood zone, you have to demonstrate you're building uh, two feet above the elevation of that zone in order to get your insurance for the building. And there's all sorts of requirements around that and, and, and extra permitting you got to get inside that flood zone. In fact, when we were trying to reuse the old um, armory on our uh, site over there off of Martin Luther King Boulevard in the Serbu campus, we wanted to try and you know open that back up as a temporary homeless shelter. Well, the floor elevation of that armory is below the 100-year flood zone in, on that site. And as soon as you have people sleep in it overnight, you can't have it below that flood zone. So we were unable to use that armory temporarily as a homeless shelter for any purpose because of the 100-year flood zone. So my fellow commissioner, who kind of poo-pooed the whole issue of, oh, flood zones aren't really a problem, should know better because he was the one leading the charge trying to reuse the armory that ran into that 100-year flood zone problem. So, you know, don't just poo-poo flood zone issues. That, you know, less than one acre might only be, you know, 2% of our total property site but the total property site isn't 100% usable, you know? And so, and because it's completely out of flood zone, it gets a different value, you know, compared to the rest of the site. So really it's, it's a significant piece of this site that they're talking about converting to a different use. Purely because of an arbitrary grant deadline and they can't in that short amount of time haven't been able to find anywhere else in Lane County to build 22 units of housing. Now, part of this whole issue about public process is they never went public when they first started looking for property. They did an internal search mostly within Lane County's inventory of properties and City of Eugene's inventory of properties and did and you know, the city of Eugene, from what I understand, was not very fast moving in, in reviewing their properties and giving out information to Homes for Good about the build, you know, zoning and buildable building issues and other master planning issues for properties. <clears throat> so this became the easy solution because 
The Wayne County Board of Commissioners has full control of it. It just happens to have the correct zoning on it for residential buildings and uh, makes it easy for us just to convert. Other than this little problem with transient room tax funding, which is going to have to be reimbursed back to the event center reserves that we were used to purchase it. So there is an actual cost to the county. They're going to have to find at least $120,000, which was the purchase price of those parcels. If you go to, to, to the assessed value, it's 228,000. But if you go to the real market value, which is what probably should be the compensation, it's probably you know somewhere in the $300,000 range. That's gonna have to come out of probably our general fund reserves, which by the way, about 65% of our general fund gets spent on public safety. So you're taking from that pot to give to the event center to reimburse for this transient room tax to give a piece of property away for an incompatible use to the fairgrounds. You know, can you kind of get my, a little bit of my frustration here? Now, mind you, this is for dealing with families with children. Our partners over in Springfield have said consistently that they are interested in doing things that provide for families with children and not so much trying to deal with the single person homeless issue. You know, it's been a well-known policy of the city of Springfield. That's what they're, they're, they're focusing on is families and families with children and veterans. And, that, and that's it. That's all they really want to. Now, mind you, here we are looking for something that's for families with children. It wasn't until my editorial came out Sunday that some of the elected officials in the city of Springfield even knew there was this search for a piece of property to cite these 22 units. They've been left out of the conversation. That's what poor public process does. It leaves people out of the conversation that might have a better solution. So Springfield's scrambling to look at properties right now, hopefully to come up with a substitute property, which would be a great win for this project. I support the idea of building 22 units of supported housing. I don't support building it on the fairgrounds, taking up a piece of property, at a time when we're just getting going on a full master plan for the future of the fairgrounds. You know, if you let us finish the master plan and then you wanna have this conversation about whether we can afford to give away part of the fairgrounds, I'm fine with that. But they're getting the cart before the horse. They didn't really look all over. I sent in a suggestion today to a couple of the folks involved in the search and asked them, I said, have you asked LTD about some of their spare property? Some folks out in the River Road, Santa Clara area are probably pretty well aware that LTD owns a really big piece of property um, out in the Santa Clara area at Hunsaker and River Road, where they're going to build a, a they're going to relocate the transit station that sits right up against Beltline and River Road and move it further north up there. Well, their transit transfer station isn't going to take up the whole property. So what's the rest of the property being used for? Have they talked to LTD about that? Have they talked to LTD about what they're going to do with the property when they move the transit station up to Hunsaker? You know, 
I don't know if they've had that conversation. You know, so we're moving way fast ahead on this. Now, the state's supposed to come out with their a, a follow-up, um, what they call a mini notice of funding availability they're going to put out. You know, this is, this I don't know, bureaucraties that they want to talk. Um, but they said after they put that out on February 6th, that, that Homes for Good is going to have basically two weeks to submit their grant. So we've got basically until about February 20th to solidify an alternate site, you know, which that's, you know, three weeks away. If we work hard now and don't get our, you know, dig our heels in about the fairground site, we might be able to find something with all of our partners, not just, you know, Lane County and the city of Eugene that could work. You know, other without possibly damaging the long-term viability of the Lane Events Center. And you wonder, why does that matter? You know, I haven't been to the county fair in a while. I haven't gone to any events down there. The Lane Events Center employs over 600 people in this community through all the events and activities that happen there. It brings over $37 million of economic activity into Lane County annually. That's what that first part of our, our master plan study looked at was what is our financial situation and is it viable over the future? It was a financial market demand analysis. And it basically says we are viable and with some improvements, we can be viable for the next 20 years or more. You know, so here we have, if it was a private employer, we'd be offering them tax breaks to stay in our community. But instead, we're going to chop off a, you know, a toe or a thumb or something, I don't know what, a body part, and give it away from something that, if it was private, would be one of the largest employers in Lane County. It just doesn't make sense. Can you tell them I'm a little fired up about this? You know, here, you know, it all goes back to the legislature wanting to show that they're, they're getting an immediate result, so they put this short deadline on this grant program, which I, you know, I kind of applaud in some ways because it seems like sometimes it takes way too long. But I believe we locally stumbled with that. We've known since September that this was coming to fruition. And it seems like we got myopic and focused on this piece of ground that we had full control over and didn't look at other pieces of ground that might be a little bit more complicated, didn't ask all of our partners and inform them we were even looking. Um, you know, it just doesn't have the pass the smell test. And I really wonder um, how many folks would continue to support this, understanding some of this background, understanding that issue with the flood zones. You know, that flood zone map was not shown to the lane fair board. It wasn't shown to the travel lane board when they approved sending a, both of them sent what I would describe as very tepid letters of support for this housing project. Basically, both of them said, 
if you can't find any place else to put this, we'll go along with you giving up this 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 0.73 acres if you promise never, ever, ever in the future to carve off a piece of the fairgrounds ever, ever again. So basically what they all said was, we really don't want it to go here. But if you do, we want an ironclad promise you're not going to keep carving up the fairgrounds. Problem is, this board can't bind future boards through an action of ours. You know, we can't take an action that tells a future board you can't do something. So, you know, next year after the, the elections and we're seating two new commissioners, it's a new board, they can turn right around and start chopping off other pieces of the fairgrounds for housing. So that has absolutely no effect and is actually not even legal under Oregon law. We cannot bind future boards. So I shouldn't, with the exception of some things like if we take a loan out that has a term beyond our, our terms, uh, there is some financial things we can do in that way. And there's some, some intergovernmental agreements that can last past our terms, but those are exceptions specifically um, called out in statute. You know, telling a future board that they can't sell pieces of property isn't. So um, what you can do, you listeners of the Bose Nose Show, is you can keep contacting the Board of Commissioners between now and next Tuesday or come into public comment on Tuesday and let them know you want to protect the fairgrounds and save the event center and not to make this transfer, find another piece of property to build this, pro this project. You can go to the city of Eugene city council and ask them to, you know, kind of remove the, the roadblocks and look harder at their properties faster, find something. Lane County has provided property for housing and homelessness. We put the property together out there on MLK for the commons where we're going to put out 51 units is under construction right now of permanent supported housing. We put the lease together for Sixth and Oak where Homes for Good is currently building 50 units of affordable housing, part of which is permanent supported housing. We have been hosting car camping out at our behavioral health department and we actually added additional car camping out at our public works um, parking area out there off of North Delta this year. We're actually um, helping out a nonprofit right there on Highway 99, host Conestoga Huts, for some additional and, and provide services um, for the homeless on, on some property we own where we had Camp 99 last year. This is a little bit different, a little bit more organized providing of services and camping. All Lane County properties, you know, we've been providing property. It's time, City of Eugene, step up and provide a piece of property for this project. I've mentioned the Naval Reserve property. Well, if there's problems with the zoning or master planning, that find us something else. So I'm asking people, contact the Board of Commissioners, ask them to save the, the fairgrounds, ask them to ask our partners to, to get together and find another property. 
Contact the city of Springfield. Express your support for their efforts to find a piece of property for this. Contact LTD. Contact the federal government, anyone that owns land around here, and ask them if they could provide a site for this that they, they could commit. It just should not be taking away something that employs 600 people and 37 million of economic activity annually. We shouldn't be touching that until we understand the implications long-term of a permanent decision. We won't be able to get that property back once we've committed it to this. It's transferring it permanently away from the event center and fairgrounds to homes for good for housing development, which is going to put kids right next to an open concert venue in Midway part of the year. And whatever other events go there, the hockey games, the roller derbies, the MMA matches, you know, <laughs> affair of the heart, you know, whatever else is coming up at the event center. You know, it's just not a good idea. And, and just so folks understand why I'm concerned about that conflicting use of, of, of housing children next to noise source, Oregon law does not grandfather the fairgrounds in from lawsuits because these people came later. Those people that move into that housing will have full standing in Oregon courts to sue us over that noise because of the way the statutes are set up. The only people that are protected from that sort of lawsuit are farmers and, and loggers because there's the, the Oregon Right to Farm and Forest Act that basically says you can't move next door to a dairy and then complain about the stink. You know, if the dairy was there first, you know, and build a, you know, if you build a house next to a dairy, you built a house next to a dairy. Unfortunately, there's nothing in the law that says if you build housing next to an open concert venue, you build a house next to an open concert venue. No, you have a standing in Oregon court. So we are setting ourselves up for future expenses that will come out of our general fund probably, um, or from the event center funding to try and, you know, deal with lawsuits. They may not win them. They may win them. Who knows? Um, but it's still a cost. You know, we are just heading in the wrong direction with this. And we need to change that direction. So I am going to jump off the fairgrounds for a little bit and just remind folks that this is a show that you can change the topic on any time you want just by calling in at 646-721-9887 and press 1. And that lets, you know, lets us know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1. So you can get in on the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. Again, coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And, you know, we're going to jump into some other topics here. But I just want to, you know, remind people, you have some power in this. If the Board of Commissioners gets overwhelming support for protecting the fairgrounds, they are going to have to make that decision in the face of that overwhelming support. And I think we need to make sure, you know, our commissioners understand that. You know, Pete Sorensen, that's his district. Heather Buck represents rural Lane County that, you know, those are the participants of the 4-H fair. 
when they move those vendor camping off of that piece of parcel, you know what's going to get displaced or mixed in with them? The 4-H campers are going to be camping with the carnies. Now, does that sound like a great idea? And it's probably going to reduce the amount of camping available to 4-H people, which, by the way, already have a waiting list to get in on those campsites. It's already oversubscribed. So there's already more demand than we have available for the 4-H camping. Yet we're going to reduce it. So people need to get a hold of those commissioners. Let them know. Now, if you're in Springfield, you might want to talk with Commissioner Bernie about asking him, you know, hey, why didn't Springfield get in on the conversation sooner? And can you help find something? And if you're in North Eugene, you might want to mention to Commissioner Farr that floodplain really does have an impact. So, but I want to move on a little bit and, and get to the legislature because they start next week. And, uh, you know, in fact, they're going to have a public hearing when I'm starting to my board meeting that I wish I could go to because it's about funding for the Oregon State Police. But I'm not going to be able to attend that because I'm going to be in the board meeting trying to deal with this event center stuff. And by the way, they're also going to be talking about climate change and a few other fun things at the board meeting. Um, and yes, I'll be there on Thursday, February 6th in Salem for the Timber Unity Rally. So um, the the local school districts have been reported recently in the media as suddenly shocked. I'm shocked, I tell you. I'm shocked there's gambling going on here. <laughs> They're shocked, I tell you, that their contractors on all these bond measures, <coughs> excuse me, I still have that nagging cough, um, all these bond measures that passed over the last several years that school districts have put out there, they're starting to, the construction contracts, and lo and behold, as the corporate activities tax, better known as the corporate sales tax, and also known as um, this education bill they passed, the $2 billion of taxation by, per biennium, or $1 billion a year increase, they're getting change orders from their contractors to cover the cost of that tax. And they're shocked, shocked, I tell you. Here they thought they were going to get this extra money from the legislature, and they're having to spend it on change orders. And it's not just on the bond contracts. It's on school supplies, food for the cafeteria. You know, every, every vendor that provides something to the school system is starting to mark their bills up because they're being charged by their subcontractors that tax, and then they also have to pay it on their gross receipts whether they make a profit or not, an extra 0.57% is going to the state of Oregon. So I bet, and if I were a, a contractor or supplier to any government entity, I would make sure there is a line item on every invoice from this point forward that says corporate sales tax, 0.57% and has the markup right there on it. So they understand that they're actually helping pay that tax. Because we all are. We go to the grocery store. It's not going to show on the bottom of that ticket from Fred Meyer or Albertson's 0.57% corporate sales tax. But you know Fred Meyer's and 
Albertsons are paying that and they're and they're making up that difference in what they're charging you for your food every day. So it's a sales tax that applies to food. It applies to feminine hygiene products and pharmaceutical products and everything else. In fact, Bymart has chosen to close some of their pharmacies in the Portland area because of the increased cost through this taxation. They can't keep them profitable. Tell me that isn't hurting Oregon a little bit. It's a sales tax. No matter how much they try and disguise it, call it something else. Excuse me while I, wh I whistle. I feel like, um, uh, who's the guy on The Voice? Country singer. It'll come to me later. <laughs> um, but, you know, it just surprises me. And then what amazes me is they're already talking about in the short session doing a massive tax bill in the cap and spend, I mean, cap and trade bill, you know, for carbon that they're trying to do for climate stuff. Massive, like huge bill. And they're going to do that during a short session. It's estimated it's going to increase the cost of gasoline by 72 cents a gallon. You don't think that's going to show up in your grocery bill? Every farmer driving a tractor is going to be paying that. Every truck that moves that produce from the farm to the processing center is going to be paying that. The processing center is going to be paying that on the natural grass they use to can your vegetables. And the truck that drives those canned vegetables to your, your Albertsons <laughs> is going to be paying that. The Albertsons is going to be paying it on heating their stores or cooling their, their stores. You don't think that's going to show up in the price of that can of, of, of beans? Not to mention the price of the can of beans that the school district has to buy to feed your kids? I'm shocked, I tell you, I'm shocked. So, Robin, is that a caller you want to pick up on and see? Yeah, we'll go ahead and just bring them on live. All right, sounds good. You're on live on the Bose Nose Show. Do you have a question or a, a different topic? I'm uh, getting a bit of an echo here, Robin, and can't really hear him. Caller, you're going to have to speak up just a little bit. Oh, lost him or her. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Try try again. Um, I'm not sure if, the, if your monitoring phone was causing the echo or not, so you may have to bring all of them up on mic. Um, so... Uh, hopefully that person will call back again. Again, our number is 646-721-9887. Just press one if you want to get in on the conversation. But, um, you know, that's one of the reasons why I intend on being on the cap in the Capitol on 6. I want to be there to demonstrate that the cap and spend bill is going to have massive impact to Oregon's economy. Yet we have a infinitesimal impact on the world's carbon footprint. I don't care what you believe about car climate change, the amount of cost to Oregon 
for that minimal impact on the world's carbon footprint is not worth it. You know, ask the folks in California as they're paying $5 a gallon for gas how they like their, their cap and spend. Now, how many people do you know that have moved out of California to Oregon recently because they're trying to get away from what's going on in California? So let's not California, Kate, Oregon, any further than we have to. You, know, you, you, you did enough damage last year with the, with the corporate sales tax. Let's not magnify that. And in addition to that, they're talking about adding another tax for more public housing, like the type that, you know, grants that were causing us to carve up our, our uh, fairgrounds, they want to get another tax for that to support housing. Because, you know, it's really efficient to have government build housing. Have you ever really thought about that? You know, they like to tax us, and usually it's in some way that increases the cost of housing for us. And then they take it into government, run it through a government program with a bunch of bean counters and administrators and stuff like that. They're all getting paid with their PERS benefits on top of it. And then they give it back out to build the actual housing. And they have to do it under prevailing wage because it's bully stuff. So you're paying higher than normal you know, cost for the construction. And somehow or another, that's all supposed to make housing cheaper and easier for Oregonians. I, I just don't quite get it. Okay, I, I just been there for a second. Yeah, what? <coughs> Hi. Jump there. <laughs> um, yeah, well, to kind of go along on your point is keep, keep raising the taxes. Uh, Oregon's not known for its wealth as far as the individuals go, and I speak from my own um, situation where every year it gets harder and harder for me to come up with the money to pay my property taxes. And quite literally, as you and I have spoke before, there's going to be a point that I'm going to lose my home because I can't afford the house. Yeah, which is a sad state of affairs and what led us to the property tax revolution in the 90s when folks passed Measure 5 and 47, because elderly folks that own their homes outright were being taxed right out of their homes. It's like you never really own your own home with, if there's a property tax on it. As soon as you stop paying that property tax for a couple of years, the government will take it from you. Even if you have no mortgage and, and have, have no liens against your property, that property tax acts just like a, a mortgage. You don't pay that and the government will step in. Somebody will show up with a gun on their hip, throw you out of your house and take your property for probably far less than what the property is worth. Yeah, so, and, I, and I'm seeing, as I've been looking at Zillow, uh, at property, I'm seeing you know, $4,000, $5,000 a year for property about $350,000. That's a lot of money to come up with, and you know, and that's not counting insurance that you yeah. have to have in your house. Yep. So if you think about that, you know, five thousand a year was that six hundred bucks a month? Roughly, yeah. Yeah. And that's so just for tax. That's just for tax. And then people sort of wonder why rents are going up. Yeah. Then uh, take utilities. 
uh, that's that's going up again, and especially I don't know how eWeb is, but like in Springfield, you know, we had to pay for water runoff, sewer runoff. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. There's that. It's all with eWeb. It's on the eWeb bill, but it's really a city fee. Right. In some areas, I think it's more commercial that now they're charging you based on how much water collection you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, your if your parking lot's over a certain size, I think it is. And but residential still, you um, two three hundred dollars a month just in uh, in utilities. Then if you decide you want something like a cell phone or maybe cable, um, you know luxuries like that. Then well. You know, you're up to what, fifteen hundred a month just for that, at least. Yeah, and that's if you don't have a mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <coughs> this corporate sales tax is going to increase all those rents too. Every one of those rental companies and landlords, you know, if they're incorporated, uh, particularly some of the larger um, uh, rental companies that like own apartment complex they're going to be over a million dollars a year gross you know total sales they're going to be paying 0.57 you don't think that's going to affect rent somewhere along the line you know it just you know it, only people pay taxes yeah. corporations do not pay taxes they pass them on yeah you know, all these people are like oh we got to get the corporations to pay their fair share who the heck do you think pays the corporate tax it's either their customers, you know, through higher prices, it's their employees through lower wages and compensation, or it's their shareholders through lower dividends and stock price. Well, and you probably remember the, the measure numbers uh, more than I do. I keep thinking it's 6.57. It's not, but it was supposed to be the cure-all for, cure for schools, and, uh, and the people passed it, and then when they did the math, they figured, oh, we didn't calculate on how many businesses and people actually moved out of the state. Yeah, yeah, I think it was sixty-six. Yeah, uh, something like seven. Yeah, I can't. I'm, I'm, but yeah, I, I remember that, and that, yeah, that was what spurred. Um, uh, I know there was a major car um, dealership conglomerate that moved their headquarters to Boise. Exactly. I passed. Yeah, the Kendall Auto Group. Yeah. You know, Kendall Ford, Kendall this, Kendall that. They moved to Boise, Idaho, their headquarters after that passed. Yeah, in fact, we got a, I'm not going to say the name of the company, but uh, one of the, our customers that uh, bring us business where I work, which is a growing company, all of a sudden just announced that they're going to close business, which is going to put 60 people out of work. Yeah, and I, I, that's public knowledge. It's Phillips there that's in the old eWeb building. Right. And uh, and I, and I, they didn't say exactly why, but I would bet dollars to donuts. It has to do with a new 0.57 gross receipts tax, a new um, uh, family leave law that applies to them because they have more than 50 employees. Uh, let's see what else has come on that that kind of hits employees. Oh, by the way, another raise in the minimum wage. Uh, yeah, it's like. You're making it harder, and then and they're talking about this cap and trade stuff, which is going to raise the cost of of business, you know, to businesses. You know, are people not getting it? Although, I, just as an aside here, with Phillips moving out of the eWeb building, come on, City of Eugene, new City Hall eWeb building, far cheaper than building a new one 
and bigger. It's a bigger building with a with a nice meeting room that could be the you know the counselors, um, you know, building that north building's got a great big meeting room where the you know the EWEP board held their meetings. You know? Jay. Jay. Yeah. Stop making sense. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm channeling Mike Clark a little bit there. Uh, Councilor <laughs> Clark, you know. Uh, but really, it, it amazes me that, that there's not more conversation around reuse of that E-Web building as a city hall. You know, it's got, you know, it's it's more conducive to city offices than any sort of, because it was not really designed as a very secure building with that open atrium. Would have made a great library, but they built, they went ahead and built a library already. So, uh, but a city hall <laughs> with some city offices. Um, and parking. Yeah, lots of parking there. There is a bus that goes past that. You know, so it does have a bus connection for, you know, everyone that worries about that. Right on all the footpaths that, you know, go go up and down the river. You know. Within walking distance of the courthouse. Yep, yep. So, yeah, I, I don't see why they keep poo-pooing that and, and uh, wanting to be on that, that park block. Um but, you know, I also don't see why it took them, why they weren't being real responsive or helpful with Homes for Good and the property search. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that's the city. They also, yeah, off on another tangent here, um, I don't know if anyone's paid attention to some meetings that happened this last week about something called urban reserves that the city of Eugene is looking at. It's a way of setting aside land for long-term growth beyond the urban growth boundary. And it was a process that was promised to be started and done quickly back in 2015. They are just getting to um, making, you know, to the point where they're going to start the process of making a recommendation to the elected bodies. And they hope to finish the whole thing up in 2021, six years later. Just just saying, you know, that's the that's that's moving fast for the city of Eugene. From the promise to completion is total of six years. Yeah, but that's not warm and fuzzy. Yeah, yeah, for a planning effort that should have taken two years, at most. Yeah, so. Yeah, but, you know, it just amazes me that, you know, we can be as blind as we are to some of this um, stuff uh, and not understand that when you tax things, you're going to chase business out. There's going to be an impact. So I, I really wonder if there will be a net gain ultimately from this corporate sales tax. If we're not going to chase enough business out of Oregon, um, and if the, if the government entities aren't paying, a, you know, because they're they're becoming the only business left in Oregon is, you know, if you're going to stay in business, you better be selling or providing services to a government. <laughs> they're going to be the ones paying that tax. And then, you know, we'll be paying it back to them. It's crazy. Um, you know, that, that that's the, you know, seems to be the focus. We, you know, revenue, 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 revenue. Never hear about, you know, working on the cost side of things. 
you know, don't know if there's going to be anything during the short session about PERS. Of course, I'm not sure there's going to be a short session. I keep hearing rumblings that the uh, the Senate 12 are going to find <coughs> lodging in Boise or maybe even as far away as Bozeman. <laughs> well, what I'm kind of wondering is like going back to the cap and trade or cap and spend or cap and rip off is uh, it's going to uh, if I'm correct, it's going to be passed under the emergency clause again, or at least that's their focus. And the emergency clause has been the root of a lot of issues in Oregon and is not being used for its intent. Is, is Have you heard of any ramblings of actually revisiting that, or is that even possible? Uh, you know, they, at one point there was a petition going around uh, for no fake emergencies. Um, it's difficult to make that because that one's going to almost have to be a, a – um, change to our state constitution to change how emergencies get tacked on to bills. And that requires a lot of signatures and a a lot of effort. And it's a confusing issue to explain to people because most people don't even know what the emergency clause is and the ramifications of putting one on a bill. You know, you and I know full well know that when you put an emergency clause on a bill, then we don't have the right to, to refer to collect signatures and put it out on the ballot like we did with measure, was it 88 that was the driver's license? Right. Yeah, the, for illegal aliens. And, you know, they passed that. And they didn't put an emergency clause on it. People collected signatures, put it on a ballot, and it got, you know, reversed massively by the public because the legislature was out front of their skis. So what they do, you know, a year later, they bring it back up, put an emergency clause on it, and pass it anyway. That's abuse of the emergency clause. They knew there was public sentiment against that bill. So they stuck an emergency clause on something that's a non-emergency just to prevent the citizens of Oregon of participating in the democratic process through referral you know, and referendum. You know, that is you know, all these Democrats, and it's a Democrat majority that constantly cries about democracy, democracy, democracy. Emergency clauses are anti-democracy, anti-voters' rights. But they're the party that sticks them on every bill. So The peasants are revolting. If they stick an emergency clause on the climate bill, you know the only reason they're doing it is to keep it from going to the voters. Yeah. And why don't they want it to go to the voters? Because they're worried it'll get voted down. Oh, well, they know it won't. By the way, with uh, six well, yeah, five minutes or so left in the program, if that caller would like to give us a call back, we'll hold over the hour uh, if yeah. you want to try again. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 uh, we, we quite often in this format are allowed to kind of go past our one-hour time, and we have – Quite often, in fact, I think one time we had a caller on right at the end of the show and went a good 20 minutes over. So, yeah, like to have that conversation again at 646-721-9887. Even if you weren't that caller, give us a call again, 646-721-9887. Just press one, let you get in on the conversation. So uh, just to review a few things from today. Contact the County Board of Commissioners, ask them to save the fairgrounds. Contact the Board of Commissioners, the City of Eugene, the City of Springfield, LTD, and whoever else you can think, 
and ask them to find another property for that state grant application for the 22 housing units. You know, pay attention to what's going to happen in Salem. Your paycheck and your cost of living is at risk. You know, your our school's ability to, to run themselves could be at risk. You know, so pay attention to all that. You know, I didn't even get into some of the other things that they're proposing up there. You know, there's there's bills that are going to impact our Second Amendment rights. You know, there, there's, they're talking about a mandatory vaccine bill again. As, as much as I believe in vaccines, I don't believe in forcing people to be vaccinated. You know, there, there's all sorts of, bill, you know, it's amazing for a six-week session, you know, it's supposed to only be about adjusting budgets and dealing with correcting legislation that maybe got a little bit wrong. There's all sorts of new proposals and things like the cap and spend, which is a massive proposal they're going to try and do in that time. Just like the fairground stuff, there has not been adequate public process on that. You know, they, they, they supposedly made the bill better. All they did, from what I understand, is slow it down, slow down the implementation a little bit. It's still going to murder rural Oregon. And, and you know ever increase the urban-rural divide as far as wealth goes. And, you know, there was a time I was complaining that they spent their time debating on the border collie being the state dog. I think I'd rather have them go back to that. Yeah, I would too. Yeah. Go <laughs> go back to the state dog or pet rock or whatever we're going to talk, you know, want to talk about. I have always never, I've laughed about stuff like that, but you know what? It at least doesn't do permanent damage to us. You know, selling property is forever in some ways. Raising taxes is more or less forever. I you know, rarely see them reverse attack. You think if this corporate sales tax really starts hurting Oregon's economy, they're going to come back and pull it, pull it off with the, you know, Oregon School Employees Association, um, you know, Oregon uh, Education Association folks, um, and SEIU. That benefit from that, you think they're going to, you know, let the legislature, you know, lower a tax? I don't think so. And the only way we're going to have an impact is if they see there's a massive public outcry about this. Get up there to the state capitol, February 6th, starting at 7 a.m. I think they're going to run shuttle buses from uh, as far away as Corvallis, um, possibly. Um, go to the Timber Unity Facebook page if you want to find some information out about it. Um, the legislature has to understand that you don't pass a cap and spend bill in a short session. And if, and it, and if you're going to do it, it can't impact rural areas like they're doing. So I didn't put together a what were they thinking other than, um, you know, I guess I kind of have to give the what were they thinking to my four other fellow Board of Commissioners members this week, because what are you thinking about placing at-risk families with small children next door to an outdoor concert venue? 
and 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 permanent living quarters there. I mean, what part of that makes sense? What are you thinking? What are you thinking when you're going to transfer one of the most usable high and dry pieces of the Lane Events Center to another entity before you finish doing a master plan for the Lane Events Center and understanding whether that would be really useful piece or not? What are you thinking? Email the Board of Commissioners, call the Board of Commissioners, come to public comment next Tuesday, 9 o'clock, Harris Hall. Ask the Board of Commissioners, what are you thinking? Well, that's about it for the Bose Nose Show. Hope I didn't get too crazy or too excited today. I like my new hat. That came in the mail today. By the way, I'm going to be on KVAL TV this evening. They, are, they interviewed me, and my hat came in the mail right before I left to go do that interview, so I'm wearing my Timber Unity hat on KVAL tonight. <laughs> we'll be back next week, right before I go to Salem, but after we've had this meeting to carve off and um, make smaller the Lane Event Center, um, and uh, I'll let you know what happened. I'm hoping that you all can make an impact. Thank you for listening to Bo's Nose Show. We'll talk to you next week, Wednesday, 4 o'clock, coming to you live again from beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.